You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Venom Audio Network. Hello and welcome, my friends, to another edition of the Way Home Podcast. I hope you enjoyed our last podcast with Blair Lynn uh, and her book, Finding My Father, uh, a book I highly recommend you you go read. Um, I'm excited about the guest that we have today. And before I talk about who he is, I want to just share a little bit about two things you might be interested in. One is my newsletter, One Little Word, which is a has both a free and a paid version If you're part of the free version, I'll send out updates about what's going on with my books and my projects and things I'm working on and some stories that I'm working on and things that I'm interested in. The paid version, I'll have a couple articles a month that just sort of talk about leadership or theology or ethics or uh, history, things that I'm very, very interested in. Um, And we have a great community there. And sometimes uh, for paid subscribers, we have helpful webinars. We just had a webinar with um, three editors from Christian publishers for those who are interested in getting their book published. And we plan on a few more next year uh, as well. So go to my website, danieldarling.com and sign up for one little word. The second um, thing I want to tell you about is, as you know, Christmas is coming. I know it's only November, but I think you can listen to Christmas music while you're celebrating the wonderful holiday of Thanksgiving, and you can do both at the same time. Some people disagree, but we'll pray for them, right? But I wanted to say, if you are looking for a book or something for your family to help you celebrate Advent, uh, celebrate the Christmas season, my book, The Characters of Christmas, is available uh, wherever books are sold. Uh, We talk about all the characters in the Christmas story from Mary and Joseph to uh, Simeon and Anna to Zacharias and Elizabeth to the shepherds, even to Herod, and what their stories of these ordinary people caught up in the story of Jesus, how they point us back to the gospel. And so I think you'll like it if you like biographies, if you like stories, if you like a fresh kind of approach to Christmas. So you can go again to my website, danieldarling.com, click on books, and you find the characters of Christmas there, or you can just uh, go wherever books are sold, Amazon, Christian Book dot com, Barnes and Noble, your favorite local bookstore, wherever books are sold, check out the characters of Christmas. I'd love for you to get a copy of that for you and your family. Okay, today's guest is a longtime friend of mine, a repeat podcast guest, uh, Colin Hansen. Colin Hansen is with the Gospel Coalition. I believe he's he's executive editor at this point. Not sure exactly what his title is. He's a prolific writer author, podcast host. He hosts a great podcast called Gospel Bound. But you already know all of that. Colin has been a great, great friend of mine, a mentor of sorts through really important seasons in my life, and just a really penetrating thinker on church issues and theology and culture. Well, I had him back to talk about what does it look like for the church to regather after COVID and what is it about the embodied nature of church, of gathering, physically gathering, that makes it church? Him and another friend of mine, Jonathan Lehman, have authored a new book called Rediscover Church, Why the Body of Christ uh, is Essential, that I think is an important book that you should get. We'll have links to that in our show notes. So 
I'm not going to keep talking here. I want to get to the rest of our conversation with Colin Hansen. Well, I'm glad to have my friend Colin Hansen uh, back on the Way Home Podcast. Colin, thanks for joining me again, man. And I'm I'm kind of surprised after the last time you let me come back, Dan. But hey, yeah, it's, uh, it's I appreciate it. It's like a regular feature. It's like a <laughs> frequent contributor. Um, I mean, I wanted to have you on here for a bunch of reasons, but um, I think the presenting reason was you and Jonathan Lehman have this great new book called Rediscovering Church, which I, I thought was fascinating about kind of the just the shifts in the world during COVID and beyond, to me, are just fascinating. Uh, economically, a lot of people are talking about work, the way that you know, people have made major life decisions. But I think church life is is a little bit different. And so uh, is that sort of what motivated you to, to work on this? <laughs> I suppose it did motivate us to work on it. Um, one of our, one of my COVID books, I guess you could say. At the same time, though, it was actually a subject that one of my former colleagues had asked Jonathan and me to be able to think about and to work on, and it was based on his experience, which has been very similar to my experience in the church, which has been that not too many people come even into evangelical churches, especially as young adults, with a well-thought-through ecclesiology. Generally speaking, don't know what to expect from church, don't know what they should be doing, don't know what other people should be doing either, and they don't necessarily have strong denominational allegiances that would lead them to certain conclusions with that. Mm -hmm. So, it started out as a basic ecclesiology that you could hand in a membership class, and then I think it was one of Jonathan's colleagues had mentioned the opportunity uh, with COVID, and like you said, Dan, all the things that are shifting right now in our culture of maybe this would be a good time to be able to do it. And I think Jonathan finally had some time after writing probably about 87 other books between the yeah, two during dives, COVID, yeah. while yeah. we were talking, finally yeah. had a window of time to be able to work on it, and they came together. And so it ended up being... I think the combination of both, the combination of on the one hand, it is a basic ecclesiology that we don't think is going to go out of style. And at the same time, it's also timely to the particular racial, political, and just health issues that we face, pandemic-related issues that have caused so much division in the church. And also then, added to that, add everything else to technological changes that have made people uh, radically rethink church in many ways. You know, I have to, I'm of two minds about this moment with church and, and church attendance. On the one hand, I feel like COVID made us rediscover the importance of the actual gathering. You know, having missed, I mean, look, we we're in Tennessee, so it wasn't that long, although it seemed that long. But, you know, it was like four or five months where everybody, yeah. whether you're in Tennessee or Alabama or anywhere, yeah, right. you know, all these gatherings were restricted. Um and it, I think it made people appreciate that and not just church gathering, but like, think of like all those little tiny things that you just sort of don't even think about your PTA meetings and you're, you're going out with your friends for breakfast or like the things in communities that people meet and gather for. We didn't have that. And I, I think a lot of people recognize that that had a really negative impact on social cohesion. On the other hand, 
So on the one hand, I think we rediscovered our need to, to gather. On the other hand, like many pastors, I'm nervous that this was a long time with which to develop a habit of not coming to church and that I can just, I can just get this content online, you know? And so are both of those things happening at the same time? (laughs) Well, Dan, you're, you're, you're wise and you recognize that typically if you're arguing for only one trend, you're probably a a partisan, you're probably a propagandist. Uh, the, The fact is there's always many different trends and, and at the risk of doing something that I'm not, you know, you're taught in seminary not to do, I'll use a sports analogy because I know you'll appreciate it. Hey, I um, always like sports analogies on this podcast. Exactly. So, um, so sports attendance has been declining for a number of years and across sports. And the thought has been it's because of all the advantages of being able to stay at home. It's cheaper. You can watch all the games. You know, the conveniences of traffic and weather and other people and things like that. So we got a great experiment in this last year of, okay, so now not many people could go to sporting events. You're watching baseball, you're watching football. What's that? You're watching the, you know, the, the bubble uh, down in Orlando for the NBA. So what's it like? Well, I would say for a sports fanatic like me, it was a great thing to be able, I mean, I missed that a lot, but also the fans are a lot of what makes the game. They're a lot of why we actually watch not just the drama on the field, but the drama on the field is fueled so much by the interaction with the fans. And our experience of the whole thing is a lot of how we're watching and associating with the people who are there. So even if you're at home, you need those people there. And I would say, in many ways, I haven't seen nearly as many concerns about attendance in any sort of different way. People have gone back saying, wow, this was something I missed. This was something I really liked. And so both trends can be true at the same time, that attendance overall is declining because people have so many more conveniences and and competition at home. And at the same time, that it's not the same thing as going. And a lot of people have recognized that. And bottom line, it's a long way of saying that's what's happened in the church. Some people are saying, forget it. We just need to focus on an excellent digital experience because there's no sense fighting the internet. And other people are saying, no way. The internet is not a substitute. It's not a substitute for church. Certainly that's Jonathan in my view um, in this book. It's not a substitute for church, and the pandemic helped us to realize all the ways that it's not a substitute for the church. Yeah, I'm so glad you wrote this, because I think in some ways the silver lining is that it is forcing us as evangelicals to actually take seriously what we believe about gathering and why it's important, and, and really an opportunity to teach about how embodied our faith is, right? That, that, you know, we've, because we value a personal relationship with God, mm-hmm. uh, because we often will say it's not about the church, it's about the people and all good things. Not religion, feel, but relationship. Right. Yeah. I, I think we miss the opportunity to tell people that like the embodied church matters. And, and it reminds me a few years ago, when Donald Miller, and I think he's changed his view on this. I think he goes to church now. Uh, but he said a few years ago, man, I just stopped going to church because, look, it's like basically a TED Talk and music. And I think we well, all he disagreed. Said, and, he with, said, and he said, I just, I'm just not into singing. 
Right. Was the one and, part and, of and, and, and we all disagreed with him, right? Like we all mm-hmm. had our disagreements. But there's something he said in there that I that resonated with in the sense of if we set up our church as merely t- a good talk with singing, we're setting people up for that, right? Because you're going to get a better sermon online and you're going to get better music online than the but the importance of coming to church and you know, sitting next to that guy who keeps he sings off key all the time, and the the usher who has the same joke, dad jokes or whatever, same thing, and the stale donuts, and the bad wallpaper, and all that. But those rhythms, how formative those rhythms are for us. So, so talk about why yeah. it's so important to be embodied and gathered. Well, there's many different ways we could approach this. You could approach it from the the biblical theological perspective, which is that we're commanded not to forsake the assembly, and that the very term we use for for the church, ecclesia, the assembly, is a physical gathering. It's an actual congregation of people. So that's that's first thing. Second thing we could say is that this is merely this is this is also theological at the level of the sacraments or the ordinances. You simply can't program them in court in 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 code. You can't can't baptize online. You cannot give communion. Those are actual physical symbols that have to be done in person. Now, you can claim that they don't have to be, but there seems to be an actual requirement of these things. It, Jesus was not merely making some kind of suggestion when he commanded these these things of like, use use water or hey, whatever you think is an appropriate substitute, just dump confetti virtually on somebody. It doesn't appear to be that was what he was trying to to say there. And then there's simply the practical. So you start with the biblical, you can extend that into the theological, the sacramental, and then you can extend that to the practical, which is, I mean, your kids know the difference. I mean, your Mm -hmm. kids are going to know the difference, the difference between the routines of setting aside time and going together as a family, it's almost like saying, well, what's the difference between us actually having dinner together around the table and us just all being in our own rooms and having Zoom on while we do our own things while we are all eating whatever we made for ourselves? Like he wouldn't see that as the same kind of thing. So practically speaking, there there is a, a huge difference between those things. And I got to say that the difficulty here, and I think this can come across as um, maybe demanding or, or abrasive when I talk about this subject, but the fact of the matter is I tend to write about things that I experience. And I got to say, it has been hard for me that, that with, with a newborn who was born in July uh, with two other young kids, with just a busy time of life, catching up with lots of things that were rescheduled, um, an eagerness to try to be able to do things that we hadn't been able to do in so long. I think I experienced as many temptations as anybody else mm-hmm. as to why it would be so much more convenient to just skip a couple weeks or just to you know, do the online version and call it good or... I don't say these things because my family makes it look so easy. I say these things because I experience what everybody else does. It's it's hard. I mean, once you're out of that rhythm, it has been difficult, I think, to get back to, Dan. Uh, I want to talk about the power of habit because I thought a lot about this during COVID. And, you know, Jamie Smith's book, You Are What You Love, was such a formative book for me to help me to start to think through this. And I also sort of read it at a time of com- coming of age where I was starting to actually yeah. notice that. And for a long time, 
you know, churches, we will say, evangelical churches will say, again, it's not about a ritual, it's about a relationship. You know, we don't want our church to just be going through the motions. And I, and that that is true. And yet I have seen actually going through the motions and routine shapes us and forms us. And you had COVID where you had this long stretch where that habit was broken yeah. and it's hard to get that back up again. So mm-hmm. part of what we're saying, Colin, right, is going to church every week, even if you don't feel awesome, even if you don't feel like a big like halo over your head when you walk in the door, even if you don't feel like that matches that particular day, made you want to like sell everything and move to, you know, some distant country, yeah. the importance of going every week, right? Yeah, well, I, I, I would, again, maybe for the guy who writes a lot about the church, this is a little bit surprising, but I don't know that I usually feel good before I go to church. Right. Now, maybe that's because my family didn't like going to church growing up. So it was always kind of up in the air. Are we going to go? Are we not going to go? Are we going to get out of it this week? There was always that dynamic. And maybe it's just being a parent with little kids at this point and just feeling busy. I'm not really sure, but I don't usually feel good. Like I'm really glad that I get to do this. I always feel very differently on the other end. It's amazing what the experience of worshiping with God's people, of submitting myself to listen, to hear God's word. It's amazing how different that is in ways that a podcast does not replicate, in in ways that I couldn't get from watching the live stream. There's something that happens there. And again, I'll use an analogy. It's like exercise. I'm not, and people can just look at me, I'm not one of those people who just naturally loves exercise. I love sports. I love playing sports. I love coaching, but I just don't love exercise. But I always feel much better after doing it. And that and exercise we all know is important. We all know that. But you, sometimes the best thing for you is you don't always have to feel like doing it. Sometimes you just have to do it. We know that as parents, as we talk to our kids about these things, you just have to do it there. And I do think there is something within our evangelical DNA that probably betrays us here of a movement that really came to age during the Enlightenment that has an overly emotive, romantic, and in some ways rationalistic approach that doesn't appreciate some of what Christians have taken for granted for all time, which is the nature of habit in reinforcing our identity collectively as a people before God. So, yeah, that's definitely a useful corrective for us, Dan. Hello, friends. I just want to tell you about a really new partnership uh, that we have developed with an amazing company called Canopy. I don't know about you, but as a parent, I find it increasingly difficult to monitor my children's internet consumption with all the devices and computers. And how do you balance safety on the internet in terms of objectionable content, pornography, and things that we don't want them to see with speed and use of the internet for things that they need, like their homework, getting a hold of them. My oldest one is driving and I want to be able to, her to have a way to get a hold of me. How do you do that? Well, sometimes it feels like you have to prioritize either speed and accuracy and accessibility or safety. Well, my friends at Canopy have developed this really neat tool that they beta tested in Israel, and it's so good, they brought it over to the United States, and it uses this proprietary technology uh, using artificial intelligence to block objectionable images, but not always necessarily websites. 
And so how this works is that even on your their phones, if someone texts them something objectionable or they're going to a website that they need to go to, but there's objectionable images, it doesn't block the website, but it'll block the, the images from coming through. And it works uh, in multiple apps that are on their phone in ways that a lot of other filters don't. It's a great, great tool. And if you are a Way Home listener, you can go to canopy.us slash way home. That's canopy.us slash way home. C-A-N-O-P-Y dot U-S slash way home. And you can get a special discount. Your first 30 days free and 20% off of Canopy for life. So you want to do that. Go to canopy.us slash way home and check this out. It's a great tool that I know you will use and, and be thankful for as a parent. One of the things that was a realization for me was to see that, okay, I'm 43 years old. I've been going to church my whole life. And I've had several big formative moments, right? The the camp meeting where I walked forward, the message or two that really stirred me that I remember. There's been a few conference messages that have mm-hmm. been formative. 2011, Gospel Coalition, D.A. Carson preaching on Melchizedek. Yeah, and I was great. like, where has this been my whole life? Yeah. Like. Biblical theology, John Piper at T4G a few years ago talking about his father and evangelism. But for the most part, I realized that I've actually been shaped by the weekly rhythms of hearing the word and and singing and praying in ways that I've mostly forgotten. Like I've probably forgotten most messages I've heard preached, and yet they've been formative. So it's, I, I think one of the things we need to return to. And I think this is something that you guys articulate really well is that we have to, the way that we're formed, we're formed mostly by, by the routines, right? And by the, yeah, well, I'm, I'm grateful, Dan, for my education at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. I think you're maybe repping the TIU uh, sweater. sweater. I am. I am. All right, there we are. <laughs> so yes. uh, one of, uh, I don't think I even had Dr. Scharf as my preaching professor, but I remember him saying this in a lecture. He probably wasn't my lab, but he must have been my lecturer. So I remember him saying, as your preaching professor, your homiletics guy, he's saying, people are not likely to remember what you say. The transformative power of the word tends to be in how people over time see personality and character merge with the consistency of this divine message in a way that, you know, that, that builds their confidence and builds their hope and gives them a model for, for how to walk with Christ. And I remember thinking, well, we do sure do spend a lot of time on our messages. Now that's, that mean that they're, they're still important. And I, but I even think then, Dan, and so often when I'm teaching and when I hear other people talk about my pastor, they'll often say, I mean, it was that message. I was preaching this summer in July and I had a, I had a family come up to me and they, and they said, well, did you know our, our son had, actually it was friends of them, said, you know, their son had, had become a Christian while you were preaching. And I'm running through my head. I'm patting myself on, on the back of all the profound things that I said he was like, yeah, it was that. It was it was when you said that the commandment was honor your father and mother. <laughs> like, yes, it was on that commandment. That so that was the part that did it. Like, yeah, okay. Well, that's the beautiful thing. It's very humbling yeah. as a as yeah. a pastor and as a preacher to know God has His own purposes and He uses that moment. But I think a lot of the effect is simply the ritual of us coming and sitting together under the authority 
of God's word to say these are the words of eternal life. Where else would we turn? It's not quite so much always every nuance of the message. I'm not trying to to argue for any sort of imprecision there. It's just a humility to say the Holy Spirit can do much more and does do. He does so much more with our words than we can ever even imagine in that moment. And I'll give you another example, Dan, and that was uh, talking with people uh, who had uh, listened to Tim Keller when he preached for nine years. Thousands, I mean, I can't remember how many thousands of messages at Hopewell, Hopewell, Virginia, three, three passages. He goes back for his 25th anniversary ordination celebration. And not one single person mentioned a single thing that he said in a sermon. Not one person recalled anything. Not that they couldn't remember, but that just isn't what they meant. It's just one, not what mattered to them so much. But it was who he was and what he did, motivated by God among them. And, you know, of course, this was Tim's first nine years in ministry, so maybe he wasn't as good of a preacher. That's That's true. At the same time... He went straight from there to teaching apologetics and preaching at Westminster Seminary. So pretty sure he probably wasn't terrible. As a right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you said it best though. And I, I think part of what we have to recalibrate in our expectations for church life is like if you're going every Sunday to be sort of entertained or wowed, I mean, look, there are Sundays that are like that. There are messages that are like, there is worship that just is like, wow, this was an amazing Sunday. But for the most part, and I think this is incumbent on pastors, and I noticed this when I pastored too, that if I treat every Sunday like Revival Sunday, first of all, I'm going to exhaust my people, but I'm also teaching them to expect that every week instead of just coming and understanding that we are formed over time. It won't be one single message. It'll be a series of messages over a lifetime, which I think is important. So let's talk a little bit about one of the things we're talking about when we talk about gathering is that we're, we're, we're an embodied faith. You know, we're not just, what does Jamie Smith say? We're not Heads just brains on, on sticks. sticks. Yeah, brains, brains on, on sticks. sticks. Yeah, yeah on sticks. we're, and we've lost a little bit that of, of that, although I think it's being recovered with, you know, folks like Sam Mulberry writing a great book on theology of the body, but maybe COVID helped us rediscover that. But the gathering, to me, it seems like the gathering piece is important and and in a, in a highly digital age where people are digitally exhausted, I do wonder if the, the sort of analog church is almost a respite every week for people. Have you thought about that? Yeah, I think it, I think it can be. I think, Dan, you're asking a question about Christ and culture in general that comes up all the time. Do we tend to reach the world by imitating the world, trying to stay up current with the world, or do we trying to or do we, we we do we offer a contrast to the world that allows them to be able to see oh my you know this is so much better well really you have two ends of that spectrum so um this is where everybody falls somewhere in a third way because most of us are not amish and so the amish would be you know purely of the countercultural view and then on the other end we're not theological liberals um, so we don't just say, well, just we got to just adjust to whatever the world's saying to be able to fit in there. So all of us have to choose. The way I describe it so often is is um, really from a lot of literature I borrowed on the second century church, and I describe the, the church at its best as being accessible and odd. 
So we speak to the world's concerns in a way that is accessible. We speak the world's language. We speak in the world's idioms. But we're odd. We are different. We do not try to imitate. Um, I mean, just how many people sit around every week, Dan, and and listen to a book that was written at least 2,000 years ago? That just doesn't happen. How many people sit and sing in any circumstance outside of a high school choir or outside of a you know a football game or something like that it just doesn't really happen so these things are not normal they are odd but there's also a beauty in that i would use as an example i mentioned it earlier how many people sit around a dinner table anymore that's very odd today for a family to do that but it can be very centering it can be very hopeful it can be very life-giving uh, how many people show hospitality the way that our friend Rosaria Butterfield shows hospitality. It's very odd, but it's also very beautiful. And so if we have churches that are accessible and odd, I think that dynamic would really commend us well. Um, you know, some some good analog church at a time when the whole world is heading straight into the metaverse is probably a good thing. Quite literally into the metaverse. That's what, we're, we're, <laughs> we're staying up with the kids these days, Dan. I don't even know what... I don't even know what meta, I don't even know what it means. I don't to, know what it like, means either. Like I got to go read the Gospel Coalition today to be able to read what like, the metaverse is even supposed to be. Like I know I'm supposed to be outraged, but I don't even know what I'm supposed to be mad about about the metaverse. So, like you know, anyways, I just want stuff to work, you know. Um, but anyways, no, this is really good. I want to encourage folks to get this book, uh, Rediscover Church, with uh, Colin Hansen and. Uh, Jonathan Lehman. And I guess I would ask you, if you're talking to pastors and leaders, and Jonathan's obviously a pastor and you're an elder in your church, um, what advice do you give people to coax them back into church post-COVID? I mean, you you have the dynamic of, of people are coming back, but you know, almost every pastor I talk to you and pastors you talk to say, you know, the, the churches that are really thriving are saying we're probably 70 to 80% what we were pre-COVID, some are less. And the frustration is, how do you get people to come back um, and, and reprioritize gathering? Or do you try to go yeah. out for those people? So, I mean, what, what well, do you, you can, recommend? Well, you can do what my pastor did uh, a week ago Sunday, which was simply to say, hey, if you're watching out there, um, we miss you. This is no substitute. Get back as soon as you can, if at all possible. You know, see so you have messages like that, and I happen to have been watching that message when I saw that. <laughs> so yes, I, I, I confessed earlier to that as well. So I really appreciated him saying that. I, I almost texted him to say, hey, thank you so much for saying that as I was watching from home after some disaster had befallen my family. <laughs> so yeah, so that's one thing to be able to do. But I'd also say it's an opportunity to be able to track your shepherding practices and policies. So in other words, uh, the way our structure works, we have uh, elders such as myself who oversee a number of different home groups. And from the home groups, we, we then have all of our members organized there. And so as a home group leader, I have a very clear sense of who is still engaged with the church and who is not and the range of reasons why. The bottom line is some people, you just can't you can ask them, but I mean, what, what levers of power do we have apart from the levers of discipline 
um, to be able to do anything about that. So the first step is simply knowing why people aren't there. And I got to say, Dan, the range is enormous. Um, in my church, it's ranging all the way from, um, I left the church because you required masks last year to, I left the church because you didn't require them for every single service indefinitely this year to, I'm literally not going outside my home now or the foreseeable future under any circumstances because I'm so scared to, I mean, it's the whole it's the whole gamut to, to simply, yeah, we just, we're just not, we're just not that interested anymore. So pastorally, there's just no one size fits all solution. I mean, you're not going to answer the, you might, you might arrive at the same place of Christian liberty and freedom and brotherhood and sisterhood in Christ with the person who says, I'm not coming because of the masks. I'm not coming because of lack of masks. I get that. But you, you don't have one solution for the whole thing. And also, I would I would just encourage pastors to be very curious, ask a lot of good questions about people as you sit down or talk to them over Zoom or whatever about why they're not coming. Because I've often seen, Dan, that the, the person who is the angriest, who seems to be the most confident about the reasons about all the ways that I'm messing up, often are having the biggest problems and are most insecure in some way underneath. It's not a one-to-one correlation, but if you go into those those encounters with the attitude of, I'm still the pastor, and I'm trying to love this person, and loving this person requires me being curious about what's happening underneath the surface, it can really help you to endure a lot of invective that comes your way with a little bit of benign uh, indifference to it, and also maintain a posture of love toward that person. Um, uh, you know, as, as you, as you stick in it, stick with it to understand what's going on. So, and all the pastors who are listening out there, um, you know, we're all in the same, we're on the same boat, friends. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the same things. And almost every pastor I've talked to has had both kind of groups of folks that they've had to navigate through from, from as you, as you, as I like to describe it on the one hand, people who, because you one time committed a mask sometime in your life, they're mad because they're very anti-mask to the other side where if you're not requiring welding shields for everyone in church, then you don't care. So you have to sort of some be in the middle, but it seems like we're coming out of that. And everybody but, else and, and everybody is somewhere on somewhere that spectrum. Somewhere in between. Yeah. And, and there's, yeah. it's not, that's a, that's a key pastoral insight to me for me, which is simply that rarely are issues black and white in terms of where people fall down on them. Basically just everybody's on a spectrum with these things. And and the quicker you realize that, the more, I think, persuadable and realistic you can be about that. And yeah, I mean, I would say we, there's not, there's not, this moment, there's not nearly as much conflict in my church as there was even a month ago. And in the meantime, our schools, large part dropped masks during that time and haven't seen any major um, upticks. So maybe, maybe we are yeah. coming out of things. Yeah, that's great. Well, great pastoral wisdom and a great, great book that people should get, Rediscovering Church. We'll have links in the show notes. Collins, always great to have you on here. We didn't even talk about like football or, you <laughs> know, like bit. Northwestern or Alabama. You live in Alabama, but it's you're true. from Northwestern. We could have talked, as always, what's wrong with Northwestern and the Bears? That seems like a perpetual Yeah, the Bears. You know, hey, Justin, I have faith in Justin Fields, but I don't know if 
My my concern is that they're they're gonna ruin him. You know, like if Patrick uh, Mahomes had come to the Bears, would he be good? It's true. Probably it's a good not. Question. It's so, a good question. Oh anyways. man, all those years of my listening to sports talk radio, I always yeah. say I've never seen anybody so happy as sports talk radio fans when Jay Cutler went to the Bears, and we know how that turned out. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> still the it still holds most of the records for the Bears, but anyways. <laughs> all right. Well, oh, you take care, man. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at dandarling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash danielmdarling. I also want to encourage you again to check out my latest book, Away With Words, and you can visit awaywithwordsbook.com. Thank you for listening again to The Way Home Podcast. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app.